This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And on this, as we're taping it anyway, chilly Tuesday morning, yeah. I had to put the heater on for probably the last time of the season. It'll, I think, be warmer where we're going today, down in Fort Myers. I'll be on a bus this afternoon with the baseball team. We'll preview the game against FGCU in just a little bit on this abbreviated version of the program. We did this last week. We'll take you around the American at around 20 past with Bulls Beat, basically starting and ending each hour. Tinkered with the schedule the last couple weeks just for various reasons, but didn't have time to put a show together, and there's so much going on in the conference, I did not want to dismiss it, that's for sure. Basketball alone, with a lot of teams still going, actually, the future members on the men's side from Conference USA have had quite the postseason, we'll explain, along with a full roundup of baseball and softball, and maybe get to the bottom of why none of the baseball team made the American Athletic Conference weekly honor roll, namely the man who hit two game-winning homers, including the walk-off John Montez. So that's kind of why we take you around the American, not just to give you a little forecast of what to expect competition-wise from the teams that we play in all the sports, specifically with softball beginning conference schedule this week, but also, yeah, take you around the weekly honors, mention some other sports as well. I know that we've talked about it on Bulls Beat, how well tennis is doing, and there's some competition on both the men's and women's side. Lacrosse, which will be a sport that we talk a lot more about in a couple years, is really underway fast and furious, and of course basketball as well. Wanted to actually, of course, on Monday's show, we had so much from just the women's basketball games alone, we could have easily gone a full half hour just with basketball, but there was a lot of other things that happened, baseball and softball, which we'll get to here shortly, track and field as well as golf and tennis. Actually, if you go to our Unlimited Unloaded page, that's on Spotify or Amazon Podcast, also on SoundCloud. We tweet out the links when we post the shows. We did go a full half hour with extended highlights of women's basketball, and I wanted to tie up a not few loose ends, but throw in a couple of other notes, behind-the-scenes stuff that I think you guys will enjoy here in a couple minutes. We also definitely want to acknowledge some reports that former Notre Dame head coach Mike Bray will be the new USF men's basketball coach. Michael Kelly got wind of these reports and confirmed through various local media, including Joey Knight of the Tampa Bay Times, that he has interviewed Mike Bray. He's also interviewed former Bulls assistant Chris Kapko, would be one of the more recognizable names on the list of possible candidates. That included Frank Martin, by the way. He announced in January that he was going to be stepping down at the end of this season, his 23rd at Notre Dame. The Irish ended up just going 11-21 and 21 this year. But, yeah, when he took over the program – forgotten they hadn't been to the NCAA tournament in 10 years. He ends up going their first season, ends up making the tournament 13 times in those 23 years. It's hard to believe he's been there that long. They won 15 tournament games and made two straight Elite Eight appearances, but after that last one in 2016, they did not make the tournament any of the next five years before getting in last season as one of the first four in Dayton and actually beating Rutgers in double overtime and then beating Alabama before losing to Texas Tech in the second round. But this year, again, well below 500 in and around him announcing it was going to be his last season. I don't want to give you his full life story because he's not the head coach of the Bulls as of this taping, but he could be. And uh, someone who knows a lot about the men's basketball program, Russ Wood, actually reported 
that that deal had been agreed to. So keep an eye on that, obvious to say. Plenty of Kathy Garcia highlights coming your way. She was named the AAC Softball Player of the Week. And we'll also preview tonight's baseball game in just a few minutes. I said I wanted to give a few more notes, not final notes, I'm sure. There's going to be some postseason accolades for Elena Chinecki and Dulce Fank and Mangiadu, of course. We kind of gave you the rundown on Bulls beat yesterday, how the season hit that high mark with the overtime win against Marquette, but then came to an end against the South Carolina team. That is just so darn good. Just some of the parts of the experience last weekend, I thought a couple things that you guys would enjoy. First of all, just the support that is shown. We normally, when we go on a road trip, there could be a couple of donors that show up, a couple of fans that show up, and there's always a great, solid group of Bulls season ticket holders. But this was different because we got to bring the pep band, we got to bring the cheerleaders, and there were just a lot of people there supporting the Bulls and actually making some pretty good noise. You could actually hear it at the end of the first quarter how this was deafening practically the Colonial Life Arena, but the Bulls fans, you could certainly hear. Maria across midcourt with 15. Johnson out on her with 10. Chinecki trying to run off the screens. Cook won't let her open. She gets it in the corner for three. That's a big shot by Elena Chinecki. It is 33 to 29, and that's going to be our halftime score. South Carolina has the lead, yet I look around, and I don't know, one out of every 200 fans may be clapping right now, and all the Bulls fans are. You know, I watched back some moments in the game. That was one. Chinecki absolutely faked Zaya Cook. It was just so good. Probably their best, well, definitely best perimeter defender. They have all the giants underneath that use their size and talent to defend but Cook was thinking she had Chinecki covered on the baseline run and then she juked her out and got open and made a big shot and wow Bulls were down by four before as you know South Carolina just relentlessly got the job done but that was at the game we also had at the hotel just a great presence I want to shout out to the Hilton there in downtown Columbia. They had the green and gold balloons. They had USF on the elevators, the logo. It was the team hotel and send-offs to both games where the cheerleaders and the band sort of lined the walkway, and it was just pretty cool. Now, here's another thing that I thought was really cool, and it was actually on the Sunday depart to the contest. When the Bulls played at NC State, River Baldwin, who is their backup center for the Wolfpack, was a teammate of Sammy Puisis's at Florida State for a few years. And after the game, this is nothing that I put out on Twitter or anything, but she was there talking to her for a while. It's sometimes when you have two players that played at the same school, you don't know if when they see each other again, they're even going to talk to each other. Were they friends? That kind of thing, how they get along. So I thought that was notable. And then as we're leaving for the game on Sunday morning, like I know who this tall person is. I can't exactly pull her name right now, but came to me. Yeah, it was River Baldwin. Her team had just gotten eliminated in the NCAA tournament in an upset against Princeton out in Salt Lake City and had just gotten back to Raleigh the day before, and she decided to get up on Sunday morning and drive the three hours to watch her friend, and Puises's eyes just lit up when she saw her coming out of the elevator. So a lot of support and some sport that you guys might not have known about until just now. Before we get to softball honors and a baseball game preview for tonight, Let's wrap up the Sweet 16 as it was wrapped up on a scintillating Monday night in the tournament. If you didn't see it, Ohio State, one of the now few teams that the Bulls played this season. Yeah, we saw Ohio State win a thriller in front of our own eyes. They did last night on a shot with two seconds left to beat North Carolina. But there were some hosts that got beat, including one that the Bulls beat. That would be Texas, and they were rolled by Louisville, 73 
to 51. The Big 12 is done as far as teams left in the NCAA tournament. And that was just the scene setter for Miami to pull off a shocker against number one seed Indiana. The Canes, who were down double digits in their first game against Oklahoma State and rallied to win there, led the whole time, only to have Indiana tied up before Miami scored with about two seconds left in a thriller. And just when you think the ACC is going to have a handful of teams in the Sweet 16, Duke loses on its home floor to Colorado. So Stanford at a one seed getting beat by Ole Miss. And by the way, their coach, Yoletta McQuinn, who thanked Jose Fernandez specifically among the couple of coaches that she thanked the night after they beat Stanford. By the way, they had to get sent to Palo Alto and beat Gonzaga and Stanford, and now they're still going in the tournament. I mean, that was the first, and looked like it was going to be the last until Miami and Colorado specifically became the three teams that advance without a one, two, three, or 4, specifically a host next to their name. South Carolina will have to go through the 2, 3, and 4 to get to the Final Four. They'll play UCLA in Greenville. Maryland and Notre Dame is the potential Elite Eight matchup. In Seattle, it'll be that Ole Miss against Louisville. So two of the three teams that pulled off an upset to advance play each other. And then it's Colorado against Iowa. So Iowa is the two seed that didn't have to play the seven seed in its first game because Georgia had upset FSU. Won't have to play the three seed because it's Colorado, not Duke. And won't have to play the one seed, which is Stanford. So I think it might be lining up for a South Carolina-Iowa national semifinal. Definitely not set in stone, but that will be an attractive matchup. And it will be a classic matchup between Aaliyah Boston and Caitlin Clark. As Jose Fernandez said after the game the other day, Boston's numbers would be even more incredible if she played on a team where there's not so much depth and they're not rolling people. Well, Caitlin Clark... That's going to be the National Player of the Year debate right there, Clark or Boston. Clark is third in the country in scoring and first in assists. That's kind of an impressive mix while leading the nation in three-point makes. Then on the right side of the bracket, it's Miami against Villanova. Villanova, the other Bulls opponent that's still going along with Ohio State. LSU playing Utah. And then at the bottom right corner, it's the one through four seeds. And Something tells me it's going to end up being the two-seed UConn, but Virginia Tech is the one playing Tennessee, and in what should be a fun one, UConn against Ohio State. The makeup of the Sweet 16 is vastly different. We've told you all year long that the women's field was going to be dominated by power conferences, and sure enough, that's all that's left if you include the Big East, which you have to for both men's and women's basketball, especially on the men's side. But on the women's side, it has two teams, UConn and Villanova, and even though the Big 12 is shut out, everybody, all 16, is from the other five conferences, four each from the SEC and the ACC, three each from the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And Pac-12 lost a number one seed Stanford and its conference tournament champion Washington State, but still has three left going. On the men's side, 11 different conferences. If you want to say one is dominant, you really can't. You can definitely point out who has been a disappointment, but the SEC has three, and boy, Tennessee was impressive against Duke. Alabama, of course, one of the one seeds left, and Arkansas beating Kansas. So you could argue that the SEC, if not dominant, has put out the most impressive set of results. But also with three teams would be your Big East, Creighton, Xavier, and UConn. With Kansas out, with Baylor out, only two left in the Big 12 being Texas and K-State. And then only one from the ACC, the Miami Hurricanes. One from the Big 10, a seven-seed Michigan State. Another disappointing turnout for the Big 10. And then one each for a bunch of other conferences, including the American with Houston, 
San Diego State out of the Mountain West, of course, Princeton from the IVFAU, from Conference USA, and Gonzaga out of the West Coast Conference. So love to see the variety there. 11 leagues still going in the men's tournament. Now let's pay tribute to the American Athletic Conference Player of the Week. That would be Kathy Garcia Soto, the freshman from Jefferson High School. Not really known for her bat, at least yet in her college career. She hit 620 last season at Jefferson, 655 as a junior, and drove in a total of 55 runs. But her only RBI before last week were in one game and both without a hit. I mean, nothing thrilling, but... Here's how those sounded. Bases loaded, tie game, three in for the Bulls here. And she just gets contact over to second base and they're gonna take the lead. There was no play at home. Garcia with her first RBI and the Bulls have come all the way back from three nothing. It's four to three. Full count, one away. Garcia squares, puts the bat back, chops it. Pitcher makes the play and has to go right to first. Boy, they must be instructed to go right to first and get the out. Slash, they must have confidence in their hitters because I think she had a play at home, but a second RBI ground out for Kathy Garcia, and it's 7-6 to six Bulls. I'll amend my statement about nothing exciting because RBI ground outs would make you think that, but I bet you they're pretty exciting for Ken Erickson. And, oh, yeah, they were, as you heard, both go-ahead hits in that game a couple Saturdays ago. Now, we didn't do any of the broadcasts from this past week, but ESPN Plus did, and we're going to have some of the highlights for sure. It's called by Ryan Urquhart going back to last Wednesday. You know, she reached base with an error, and when you enter a week hitting 108, you'll take it any way you can get it. She scored a couple runs in that game and had one hit. And then in the loss, came on as a defensive player. Well, she started the next five, and it started a string of run-scoring hits, the first of which ended the game. And this was in extra innings against Lehigh. Remember, the Bulls had given up a four-run lead. Lehigh had gone ahead with two in the top of the seventh. They were thinking they're headed to 18-3 and three before Marissa Tribal Peace, who also certainly was a candidate for weekly honors, had three RBI extra base hits in that game against Lehigh alone, including the tying double in the bottom of the seventh. Then in the top of the eighth, with this being a multi-team event with a lot of games, the international tiebreaker rule where you put a runner at second base to start things off was in effect. So it's second and third and two out in the top of the eighth, and their batter, who had hit three homers in two seasons going into this one, had already hit two was up. Garcia makes a great play. Give that to you first, followed by her first run-scoring hit, a game-ender. Second and third, two gone. Dudley on the first pitch, sends it out to short. Long throw for Garcia Soto is in time. South Florida gets out of a second and third jam in the top of the eighth. It is still even at seven as we go to the bottom of the eighth. Bulls a chance to walk it off in extras. Garcia Soto into center field. That will end the ball game. Bryant scores. South Florida wins it in extras, eight to seven over Lehigh. And really, who else to do it but the clutch freshman making the throw across the diamond to even send them into the home half and keep the tie ball game. She's going to lace this ball up the middle, score Bryant easy. So that win was quite enough, 8-7. to seven. Then the Bulls, with Texas patiently waiting, thinking they're going to pounce on the Bulls, and the Bulls did the pouncing, had a 3 nothing lead before the Longhorns evened it up. But there was a magical moment in the bottom of the seventh. And this is really what cemented Player of the Week honors for the freshman. Boy, this has been a roller coaster tonight. South Florida up 3 nothing early. Texas battles back in the fourth and the fifth. 
Garcia Soto, a deep drive into left field, and South Florida takes the lead. Her first career home run walks it off for the Bulls. Wow, and can she do it? Yes, she can. What a monster home run to come up in the seventh inning, second pitch of the, uh, of the inning. What a huge at-bat for her team. An eyebrow raiser across the college softball world. The freshman, Kathy Garcia Soto, launches this out of the ballpark and gives South Florida a massive win in an upset over number nine. And she knew when it was going, it was gone. She absolutely crushed it. Over, left hanging over this inside part of the plate, and Garcia just hammers it over that left field line. That was actually Allison Keim on the duties for that game. In place of Georgina Cork, who's been very busy, not just as a graduate assistant coach, but also keeping us really on the inside with some of her knowledge joining Ryan for some of those TV broadcasts. And one of the things that she was great talking about was, and I think I'll grab Ken Erickson off to the side at some point, or maybe on the microphone, he was not coaching third base this weekend. It was Lisa Navas who joined the team as a volunteer assistant, she, previous to that, led, you know, South Carolina as the associate head coach to seven NCAA tournament appearances and was the inaugural head coach at NC State and got them into the NCAA tournament in her third year there. So, different voice, a little bit more energetic out there at third base. Ken Erickson's always very cool, and I thought that was an interesting dynamic with the team. Who knows if it had anything to do with Kathy Garcia? going off at the plate. What she did on one day with two walk-off hits was enough to get weekly honors, but to get player of the week, she probably needed one more solid game. Try the very next game, three hits, a new career high in that category. And, you know, after going with the two walk-off hits from the right side of the plate, why not flip around to the left side and do this in your first at-bat? Runner in scoring position for yesterday's hero. Garcia Soto, so much passion when you talk to anybody around this group how she can fire up that dugout with the best of them. Garcia Soto on a line past the leaping Howard goes into the corner. Cadlub gets the windmill at third. She scores, and the hot streak continues for the freshman. An RBI double to put the Bulls up by three. I mean, call her clutch, call her whatever you want, but Kathy Garcia Soto gets it done. Obviously coming into that bat, probably anticipating a bunt to move Jordan Cadlub actually sees enough pitches to put her in scoring position and then laser this ball into left field and give another run lead to the USF Bulls. Excellent analysis, as always, by George there. Again, she had two more hits, didn't lead to any runs, but the Bulls get the win. Had she done enough? Yes, but why not start the scoring in the next game against Iowa? Only one out. Iowa needs that second out desperately. Pelf. Garcia Soto smokes one into right field. Beavis is in. She moves the carousel, and South Florida is on the board with a 1-0 lead. Emily Hanlon would clear the bases right after that, and again, the Bulls were up on Iowa 4-0 before the Hawkeyes, who were going with their ace pitcher, and she held the Bulls down the rest of the way while an assortment of Bulls pitchers gave up a total of 12 runs after a rain delay. And then they got shut down by Texas 6-1, so still 19-15 getting into conference play, which begins later on this week. Those were the highlights, the actual numbers, just to be official, since she was the player of the week. And I actually saw Wichita State put out sort of a questioning tweet like, why didn't their player get it? Well, we'll save that for around the American at 20 after. But as far as Garcia went, she definitely deserved it. Hit 500, six runs scored, four ribs, and of course, 
the game-winning home run against Texas. Also on the honor roll, so you have player of the week, pitcher of the week, and five members of the honor roll. So it's not always an easy squeeze to get on there. Peyton Dixon does so once again. Three more wins. She is 12-4 and four on the season. She did not pitch, by the way, in the 12-4 loss to Iowa, nor did she appear in the 6-1 defeat on Sunday to Texas. When she did appear three times, exactly, she won all three games. Five innings of ball and the run rule win against Jacksonville last Wednesday. She came on in relief against Lehigh to bring home the 8-7 victory with six strikeouts. Seven more strikeouts. She did walk five against Maris, but two unearned runs in that one. Her ERA for the season sits at a 1-4-7, and again, 12-4, worthy inclusion on the American Athletic Conference weekly honor roll. John Montez of baseball certainly could have been on that honor roll. He had a walk-off home run himself, had a game-winning homer. That was back-to-back days against Army. Had a three-hit game against Dartmouth, but also had a couple of hitless performances. So I think the batting average being a little under 300 might have hurt his cause. Again, we'll do around the American. But either way, he has been a big part of the Bulls this year. Just a fantastic season. Now can they score a win in another midweek challenge? They have gone to Gainesville. They've gone to Tallahassee. And now they go to Fort Myers, which doesn't sound as daunting until you realize what the FGCU Eagles have going on this year so far. They are 16-4. and four. The Bulls just won their first series of the year. The Eagles have not failed to win a series all year, and that includes at Florida State two weekends ago and just now against Liberty, which is a very, very solid baseball program. And they returned plenty of talent from last year's strong-hitting squad. They were 35-23. and 23. The Eagles have actually won the regular season title, and that is not easy to do in the A-Sun two of the last four years, but no NCAA trips in there to show for it. They did make it to the tournament once back in 2017. Alejandro Figueredo was their leading hitter last year at 392, followed shortly by Brian Ellis hitting 379. Their third best hitter was another Alejandro Rodriguez. He hit 323. Well, they're all back on this team. They did lose some pitching. Their team ERA is not that great this year. It's near five, but the hitting has been 323 as a team, 40 home runs. Figueredo hitting 427 has seven homers. Edric Felix is hitting 386 with eight homers. Joe Kinker, 366 with seven homers. They got another hitter with seven home runs. This is a dynamite team the Bulls will be going up against tonight. We'll have the coverage for you starting at 615, the Bulls at FGCU. We'll have highlights on tomorrow's show. We'll also tell you how men's golf ends up at the Linger Longer Invitational in Georgia, they enter the day right in the middle of a 16-team field, tied for ninth at 25 over par. That concludes Bulls Beat on a Tuesday. I'm Derek Sharp.